Father, thank you, God. We can sense your presence. Lord, I pray that we would tune into your voice and your voice alone as we look at your word. God, I know that there are people here that they need to hear from you. And God, maybe this week they have, they've tuned you out or they haven't focused on you. And Lord, right now I pray that they would listen to your small, still voice. God, as you speak to their hearts, God, you say to them exactly what they need to hear. God, I pray that we would tune into that. God, that we would not push you to the side any longer. And, and God, for right now, for the next few moments, we would just, we would just listen to you and to you alone. I know that our own voices speak so loudly. I know that our selfish voices, they cry out, God, but I pray that we would push those to the side for just a moment. We would just tune into what you have to say to us. God, I know that so many times we tell ourselves things, and not everything that we tell ourselves is truth. But God, what you tell us is truth. So Lord, teach us truth right now. Help us listen only to you and to truth, and you receive glory from that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in a study of Joseph in, uh, in Genesis, and we'll continue that study today. We'll be in Genesis chapter 46, and today, Jacob's house in its process of getting an extreme makeover, uh, they're going on vacation Nothing will give your house an extreme makeover quite like going on vacation together. Am I right about that? A long road trip, everybody crammed in a car. You know what I'm talking about? That's a phenomenal experience, right? There are smells that come from the back seat that you can't, can't explain. I don't know why that is, but I mean, just kids stink. Uh, they do. Um, I remember our family vacations. Man, they were wonderful. My parents loved to put us in the car for 16 plus hours. It was phenomenal. Uh, we would pull a camper somewhere. In particular, there's one trip that I remember so well. I don't know why I remember this. There, you know, when you're a kid, certain things stick out in your mind, right? Like there's certain events, certain stories that like, I just cannot forget it. Well, for me, it was us pulling a camper, going to the beach, right? It's summertime, a lot of people go to the beach right now. Very few people pull a camper to the beach. Some people do. That's your thing. That's cool. It doesn't happen to be my thing. I think that my parents taught me that camping at the beach was not my thing, as a matter of fact, through these experiences. Um, they would put 64 of us in the back seat of whatever car that we had at that time, where I was riding up in the glass, you know, and, and they, they would cram us all in the back seat. We were pulling a camper. Uh, there's no way that my dad could see anything pulling a camper and 45 kids yelling at him and stuff like that from the back seat. There was no way that he could concentrate on the road, but we made it there safely. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that, that we always, as far as my, I can remember, we always made it there very safely. Uh, but this one particular trip to the beach, we, we lived in North Carolina, and we would go, so we lived kind of towards the central part of North Carolina, and we would go east, and we'd go to the beach in North Carolina. Well, that's not like Panama City, right? So the beach is not as pretty, but, you know, th there's water there. So we thought, we go there. There's water. So let's go towards water. We've got 100 kids in the back seat, so let's just go. So we would, and, and we would camp. So we had a little pop-up trailer, a little pop-up camper, and all of those kids that we put in the back seat, I'm talking about like, like we brought like cousins, you know, with us. Because we didn't have enough kids of our own. We wanted to bring other people into the enjoyment, right? So we, like, let's all go to the beach, right? 
So, yeah, send your kids on with us. We go to the beach, and we're all stuffed in this little pop-up camper, kids sleeping on the floor. I mean, like, you know, we're starving, and it's hot, and, you know, it's not quite like that. But anyway, it's really hot, and this is one of the reasons I don't camp at the beach. You know what I mean? They, they put condos at the beach for a reason. You can stay there. You, you know, and they got air conditioning, and it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, right? And they got showers, and you don't have to, yeah, anyway. So, um, so we, uh, we, this is one particular camping trip at the beach, and we took our cousin with us. And, and, and his name was Ricky. I, don't, I hope he didn't listen to the podcast, but his name was Ricky. And, and, and Ricky, for whatever reason, I don't know if the guy didn't get exposed to the sun very much, or he didn't, he didn't know how to deal with sunscreen or, or something like Whatever reason, Ricky... <laughs> Sorry, you had to be there, all right? So uh, Ricky got blisters on his lips. I know, you're like, oh, no. He got sun poisoning on his lips. And, and Ricky, for seven days, walked around like this. <laughs> hey, what are we having for dinner? What time, what time of who going to Ray Ray? My daughter's mortified right now that I'm up here talking with my lips. There. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> As my brother said, his lips done swolled up. I mean, they were just, they were just puffy. I mean, like, they were cracking and nasty. I mean, like, it was, you couldn't hardly stand to look at the dude, man. I mean, it was just like, ah, you know. Uh, I'm happy to report that Ricky's lips returned to normal, and Ricky, he survived that beach trip for, for whatever reason. It's still like the focus of family lore in our family, the fact that Ricky, his lips were just like, they, they were this big, man. I promise. They were like, like he had basketballs he was, he was walking around with on his face. It was, it was just the most horrific thing I've ever seen. So, so Ricky hopefully has learned to use sunscreen, maybe, maybe you know, some chapstick, something. He, you know, he, hopefully he can deal with that a little bit better now. But for whatever reason, I remember camping in that stinking camper and at the beach and Ricky's lips being swolled up. But anyway, so that's one of my family vacations. You know I like to share funny family stories with you guys and kind of share what, uh, what I've had to endure. You think that your family's the only crazy one out there. Mom, I, I got a crazy family too. They're sitting on the third row over there. But anyway, uh, so, so Jacob's family's going to get uh, an extreme makeover through their vacation. Uh, that they're, they're going down to Egypt. See, what's happened here in the story is that uh, Joseph got sold into slavery. His dad thought he was dead because his brothers sold him into slavery. Not exactly the best picture of a good, loving family relationship. He got sold into slavery. One thing led to another. He gets into prison. He actually ends up, because he can interpret dreams, he goes and he ends up being second in command to Pharaoh. So he's like the governor of Egypt, and his brothers come back to him because his brothers are starving. Joseph had predicted there was going to be famine in the land. Turns out it was actually right, and his brothers come back to him because they're starving where they are. In Canaan, they're starving, and, and like they got nothing to eat, so they come to Egypt because they hear they got food down there. Well, Joseph didn't let them in on who he is until much later, and finally, last week, we talked about Joseph letting the cat out of the bag going, hey, it's me, I'm your brother. He's been acting like an Egyptian. He's been speaking the Egyptian language, even though he knew what his brothers were saying because he spoke Hebrew like they did, but he was, he was kind of keeping quiet about it. Well, finally, he told him, he said, look, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. I'm the one that you... You thought was dead or you thought was sold into slavery. That's me. I'm here. And they're freaking out because they think, oh, great, he's going to kill us. He's going to pay us back for, for what we've done to him. It turns out he doesn't do that. He shows them grace. He lovingly welcomes them back in. He says, not only am I going to welcome you back in and, and, and embrace you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. 
So I want you to come here in Egypt to live with me. I want you to go back, grab dad, tell Jacob that, that his son's alive, come back and you live here in Egypt with me. Pharaoh gets wind of the fact that this is Joseph's brothers. He's like, you know what? I'm going to double down on that. Instead of y'all just coming here to be okay, I'm going to give you the best land. You pick the land where you want to go and I'll give it to you and you can have it and y'all live here for a while and we're going to take care of you. Whew, that's a lot, right? So that's what happened. So now we find out that Jacob... They go back, they tell dad, hey, Joseph's alive, he's down in Egypt, and he's the man. That's basically what they say. He's, he's got it going on down there, and, and we're incredibly thankful that he's going to save our lives. He's going to save all of us. He's going to save all of Jacob's family. And, and that's where we are in the story. And, and, and Jacob now, he's got to pack up his stuff. And he's got he's to come on down to Egypt because that's where the food is, and He's kind of in a bind a little bit, though, so we'll talk about that in just a minute. In Genesis chapter 46, it starts out like this. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions. When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision, Jacob, Jacob, he called. Okay, that's a very profound little passage there. Can you explain to us what that means? And man, it just shook me up to my core when I read that. <laughs> And this is why Bible study is so cool, because when you dig in, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't see that. I didn't recognize that. That's why it's that's those little footnotes I got down at the bottom. You see a little asterisk, and you're like, A, Z, and 1, and B, 12, and yeah, it's like bingo down there. You know, you're trying to figure out what that stuff at the bottom means. Yeah, you start digging in a little bit, and you're like, well, that really is cool. So notice what it says here. So Jacob has got to pack up all his junk. You know that this is really tough to pack up all your stuff and move, right? I mean, now he's excited about the fact that, that Joseph's alive and he's going to get to see him, but it's tough for an old dude to pack up his stuff and just and leave town. You, you, some of you may have, have elderly family members. You may be elderly, and you say, I don't want to go nowhere, man. I know even I got kids splattered everywhere across the U.S., but I just want to stay here because this is a place I know. This is what's familiar to me, right? I, I, as the older I get, the more I'm like that. The more I'm like, I just want to stay right here. I don't really want to go nowhere. I don't want to move. Moving's stressful. So here, Jacob, he's like really, really old. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's pretty doggone old. And, and he's, I don't think he's really excited about moving, but he's packing up his stuff and he's going. So he goes down towards Egypt and he gets to this place called Beersheba. Now you're like, well, that's a cool name. I like to say that. That's a fun name to say, Beersheba. Beersheba. Anyway. That's what I thought about the name when I first heard it. That's fun to say. But anyway, he goes down to Beersheba. Now, what's the big deal about Beersheba? Beersheba is like a place really south of where he's from. It's like the southernmost tip before he goes into Egypt, before he starts venturing across the desert. And like this is basically the point of no return. This is the last place to get gas before you go into Egypt is what this is, right? That, that's where he's at. So he's on his way to Egypt, and he stops in Beersheba, and this is kind of like a big decision point for him. He's got to make up his mind about some stuff right here. He, he's got to figure out, am I going or am I going back home? This is kind of a make it or break it kind of time for Jacob. Am I going to go or am I going to stay? Right here is where I have to decide. Now, what's special about Beersheba? Do you remember a guy named Abraham? Do you remember how God made a covenant with him and said, you know what, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You, you continue to let me be your God and, and you be my people and I, I'm, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, is what he said to Abraham. 
Well, that's Jacob's grand- grandfather. And he, he's like, he's, he, I, I believe that, that this is important to Jacob. This is a very critical time for Jacob. He's got to be reminded of what God has promised to Abraham, his grandfather. Well, Abraham took his son Isaac up to a place called Mount Moriah. You may have heard of it. And what he said here is he said, Abraham, you're going to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. You're going to sacrifice him here. And and so he takes, I mean, like begrudgingly in obedience to God, he goes and he takes his son up and lays him on an altar that that he's made. And and he's actually had to get his son to, to help him make the altar for the sacrifice. And Isaac's looking at him the whole time going, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice that we're going to make to God? He doesn't know that he's the sacrifice. God has called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And you're like, well, this is crazy, right? Well, if you know the story, you know what happens is that Abraham gets knife in hand. He's got his son bound up on the altar, and he's ready to just do the deal. He's ready to take his son out because God has called him to. And God stops him in the middle and says, no. No, this is not the way it's going to go down. It's not the way it's going to happen. There's a goat over there, and he's hung up in the thorns, and go grab him, and he'll be the sacrifice, but not Isaac. But God was testing Abraham's obedience. He was testing him, seeing how obedient would he be, even to the point of sacrificing his son. Is that the level of obedience that Abraham had? And Abraham displayed, man, even if it means that my son has to die, I'm willing to be obedient to you, God the Father. After this occurred, after this occurred, You know where Isaac went to stay? You know where Isaac went to hang out? It's a place called Beersheba. Beersheba. So here, Jacob's on his way down to Egypt, trying to make up his mind about what he's supposed to do and his obedience to God. And where is the place that he stops? He stops at the place where his his grandfather, Abraham, was so obedient to God, he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. This is the place, this may very well be an altar that Isaac built at Beersheba. This may be a place of sacrifice where, where Isaac was. And God was reminding him. I'm still that God that made the covenant with your grandfather. I'm still him. I'm still that same God. You see, what what happened to Abraham? He was, in in his mind, he was so obedient to to, to what God was calling him to do, he was willing to sacrifice his son. But God didn't call him to do that. God instead saved his son. His son literally was was kept from death. His son was resurrected, if you want to call it that. And I think that this had to be a reminder in, in, in his brain. My son has been resurrected. Joseph, his son, has been resurrected. You know why? Because God has kept his covenant. He said, you know what? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be the one, if you trust in me, if you depend on me and me alone, I still got you. You're still my God. I'm still your God. You're still my people. Man, that's a lot from just those few verses, isn't it? That's why Bible study is so cool. That's why you got to read it, man, when you go home. Because it, it is that deep. It, it, it was a reminder to Jacob about the faithfulness of God, how God has, has resurrected his son. His son that he thought was dead is now alive. The same thing that happened to Abraham is his son was going to be dead, but God said no, and, and his son lived. And that's the place where Isaac would make sacrifices at Beersheba. 
in your life, man, in your life, if you will open your eyes, if you will stop, if you will take the blinders off for just a minute, God will give you those reminders. He will show you how he is still a faithful God. Even in the midst of you having your whole life turned upside down and maybe you got to move to the other side of the country or move to a place where you don't know what's going to happen next, God, he will still show you and give you, give you a promise of being faithful to you. If you will still keep him as a sinner in the forefront of your mind, he will show you things and say, you know what, I'm still right here. Your life may be turned upside down and it may not look like what you thought it would look like, but I'm still here and I'm still keeping my promises. Jacob's there making sacrifices to God. I believe he's, he's making a sacrifice seeking God's wisdom, seeking God's direction. Notice what he says to him, man. Notice what God... <laughs> he offered sacrifices to, God of his, to the God of his father, Isaac. Man, that's, that's deep, isn't it? The God of his father, Isaac. Beersheba. Isaac, during the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. There's only one response that's acceptable when God calls you. There, there's only one response that you can, you can have to God when God calls you out by name. And he says, here I am. Here I am, God. Now, I don't believe that's just him going... I don't believe God was going, man, Jacob, where are you? Jacob, I can't find you. What, what do I always say in here? If God asks a question, it's an invitation, right? So, <laughs> so he calls out Jacob, Jacob. God ain't looking for him, in case you're wondering. The sovereign God of the universe that knows where every grain of sand and every hair on your head is, he's not looking for Jacob. He's giving him an invitation, and what is the invitation here? To do as I've called you to do. And that's it. And what does Jacob respond? Here I am. What does Jacob say? Jacob's saying, whatever you have for me, Lord. Whatever you have for me. You're the sovereign God of the universe. You know every single thing about me. You know the plans you have for me. And you've been faithful to me. Here I am, God. Whatever you want to do with my life, here I am. Here I am. I want you to understand something. In your life, when you give your life to Christ and God calls you by name, He calls you out and, and he, he calls out His sheep and he, he calls you unto Him, there is only one acceptable response to God Almighty and that is, here I am. Now, you're not just saying, God, this is where I'm located. God, this, this, this is the pride that I bring to the table. This is the, the guilt that I bring to the table. It's not just that. You're not just saying, here's all the stuff that I'm, I'm, I got on my back. And I need you to take it off of me. What you're saying to God Almighty is, here I am. Whatever you have for me, Lord, whatever you call me to do, whatever path you have for my life, here I am. Yes, all those other things are true and how God lifts those burdens. He takes away the guilt and all the shame and all of that. And that is absolutely true. But it's more than that. When you say, here I am, Lord, you're saying, God, whatever you have for me. God, whatever plan you have in store for me, here I am. Here I am. He says in verse 3, he says, I am God, the God of your Father. The voice said, do not be afraid. 
to go down to Egypt. For there I will make your family a great nation. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. Now, it was a big deal for them. They, they, like, to, they like to die and they like to be buried in their homeland. They didn't want to be buried somewhere else in a foreign land. And that was kind of a big deal. So I, I, think, I think when he tells Jacob that he's going to die in Egypt, that he's calling Jacob to an extra, extra deep step of faith and trust and, and like, I, I want to die in my homeland. I want to die where I came from. I don't want to die in some foreign land. And God says, you're going to die in Egypt. You're going to die in Egypt. I think this was stretching Jacob's faith a little bit because he didn't want to die in Egypt. He didn't want to die in Egypt. We see that again here in just a sec. We see a, an emphasis on that. He says, but your son, he's going to be right beside you. Your whole family is going to be back together again, and, and Joseph's going to be there with you. He gives him a, a, a thing that stretches his faith a little bit, but also gives him a promise at the same time. He says, but your family's going to be together. Because this is my plan. This is my plan. That's all he needs. That's all Jacob needs. And his obedience to God, the God of his father Isaac. So Jacob left Beersheba with his sons. Took, and his sons took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones, their wives, and the wagons Pharaoh had provided them. They also took all their livestock and all their personal belongings they'd acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went down to Egypt, sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters and all his descendants. And these are the names of the descendants of Israel, the sons of Jacob, who went to Egypt. Now I'm going to spare you from me abusing all of these Hebrew names, okay? Because I would just stumble over them just like you would if you were reading all of these names, okay? If you're looking for what to name your next child, maybe you want to study in Genesis chapter 46 and pick you out a good name. I don't know. I don't know, okay? But I want you to recognize why God recorded this, okay? I want you to, to, to think for a minute about why would God have this written down in his word? Why, why would it be so important... To, to write these names down. Man, what's the big deal here? These are, these are, these are family names. And, and we're just, we go at one after another, after another, after another. Well, I want you to think about it this way. Think, think about Simple Church and our, our family that God has created here. And, and think about you looking back, uh, you know, your family looking back 100 years, 50 years, 25 years from now going... And they were there when it started. The Hawks, the Juniors, the Nixes, the Wrights, the McNeils, the Mitchells. They were there. These are the people that left a legacy, and, and these are the people that were there at the beginning. Some of you are like, man, you left out my name. I just happened to make eye contact with some people, okay? Not any less important to this family. I just think about it, though. Think about how, how cool to look back to see the original partnership forms that, that were filled out 
by your grandfather, your great-grandfather, and say, man, we were th- they were there at the beginning, and the reason that this legacy has continued on is because, man, they were there. In their obedience to God, they did what God called them to do, and they just went, and it was a struggle, and it was real, and it was difficult, and it was ugly, and they went anyway. I mean, I mean it didn't even make sense for them to go at that point in time, but they went anyway. That'd be pretty cool, right? Looking back and seeing the legacy and where it all started and where we came from and what happened and and how this all came to be. And I believe that's why God recorded it in his word. Skip down to verse 26. The total number of Jacob's direct descendants who went with him to Egypt, now counting his sons' wives, was 66. In addition, Joseph had two sons who were in Egypt. So all together, there were 70 members of Jacob's family in the land of Egypt. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. Judah. He sent Judah to go and meet Joseph. Judah stepped up his game. Before, Judah was the one that had the idea to kill Joseph. Now Judah's the one that's taking responsibility for the whole family. And he says, you know what? He says, if I don't bring your youngest son back to you, Jacob, if you, it, Dad, if, if I don't bring him back, you hold me personally responsible. And remember when they got accused of, of stealing the, the bowl? You remember the bowl that we talked about that they got accused of stealing? And Judah stepped up and said... You know what? We're all going back. It's not just going to be one person's responsibility. We're all going to go be sold into slavery if that's what it takes to make up for this thing that was done. We're all going to be held responsible. So Judah continues and continues to step up his game. And he's the one that had to go back to dad and say, Dad, we lied to you and told you Joseph was dead. We killed an animal. We wiped the animal's blood all over the, the coat that you had gave, given Joseph and, and like, it was all our fault, and, and, and we're sorry, and we're repentant, and God has shown us how bad we were and the things that we did wrong, and God's doing an extreme makeover in this family, and, and, and like Judah has now stepped forward, and he's taking leadership and in respons- in, in responsibility in the family. This happens. This happens. People that are willing to, to, to admit that they were wrong, People that are, that are willing to say, you know what, what I did was wrong and it wasn't right, but I'm willing to make it right now. And, and the fact that, that Judah did that, now he's stepped up his game. Now he's got put in a leadership role. So what, what does that say to us? It says to us that, that I don't care how bad you've screwed up. I don't care about how many things you've messed up or done wrong. What I'm saying is if you repent, you turn towards God, and you start following God in obedience to Him and allow God to, to take these things that have been so messed up in your life and use those things, man, God can turn you into a leader. Just like He has Judah. See, Judah was the leader of the idiots before. Now he's the leader of this group that will become the nation of Israel. God's people, he's become the leader now. So Jacob sends Judah. Think think about how tough that must have been for Jacob. First, I mean, he was the leader of the people trying to to kill his his favorite son. And now Jacob's had a full turnaround too. And he says, Judah, you go. 
You, you be the, the one that, that takes us where we're supposed to go. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father Jacob. When jo Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die since I have seen your face again and know you are still alive. Now, there's a parallel here. There's a guy named Simeon recorded in Luke chapter 2 where he, uh, he says, you know what, now I'm okay to die. Now that I've seen the Messiah, now that I've seen the living, breathing Messiah, now I'm ready to die. It's a parallel to the New Testament where Jesus, after he was born, Simeon came to look at him and said, you know, now I'm ready to die. And you think the Old Testament and the New Testament are not related. Man, they're all so knit together. It's not like these puzzle pieces that don't fit, man. They all are put together for a specific reason. You just have to look a little deeper sometimes. And Jacob looks at his son's sister. I mean, and they're bawling their eyes out. I can't blame them. Man, this is a long-time family reunion. And, and, and it's all water under the bridge, and, and they're just trying to get on with life now. And, and there's such a heart of reconciliation there that, that you know, I mean, like... Joseph could have said anything. He could have said, Dad, you didn't even go to the place where they, they supposedly had found me dead. You didn't, you, you didn't go there and check it out, see if the story was right. You didn't do this. You didn't. He could have made all kinds of excuses. You know, he, he, could, he could have said a ton of different things to him, but he didn't care. He was just happy to see his dad, and he wraps his arms around him. And, and even, even Jacob could have been mad at Joseph a little bit, right? Like, so you've been... Living it up down here in Egypt, you didn't even send word back to me that I was alive, that you were alive, that, that I could know that my son was not dead anymore? Like, you didn't even send me an email? He could have, but it didn't matter at that point, man. They were together. They, didn't, they, they were together, and that's all that mattered. That's, that's what a heart of reconciliation does, man. When, when you genuinely have a heart of, that, that's a big churchy word, reconciliation. That just means to be made in agreement with. When you have a heart of, man, I just want everything to be okay because that's what honors God the most. Then that's what God's able to do. That's how transformational this extreme makeover is. Man, they just, they just want everything to, to be okay. And they're, they're bawling their eyes out. Verse 31 says, And Joseph said to his brothers and to his entire family, I will go to Pharaoh and tell him, My brothers and my family, entire family, have come to me from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds, and they raise livestock. They have brought with them their flocks and herds and everything they own. It's okay. Bear with me. Then he said, When Pharaoh calls for you and asks about your occupation, you must tell him, we, your servants, have raised livestock all our lives, as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen, for the Egyptians despise shepherds. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Man, that blew me away. Can that knock my socks off? What's happening here? Joseph, you know what he's telling you know, you know what he's telling? I mean, like, okay, so 
We just learned that, that, that Egyptians despise shepherds. They're shepherds. We just learned that, that, that Egyptians don't really like shepherds. As a matter of fact, that's where, the, that's where they, they hang out is the land of Goshen. And Egyptians don't even really like to go over there because shepherds are there, right? So this is really complex, right? Egyptians don't like shepherds. They don't go into Goshen. What, is, what does Joseph tell him to do? He says, when Pharaoh asks you what you do for a living, you better be honest with him. You, you, even though Egyptians don't like shepherds, you better tell him you're shepherds. And you take care of livestock and all of that stuff. He said, you know, you know what Joseph is saying right now? We're different people now. We don't lie anymore. We're done with that old way of behaving and trying to hide and cover up and all that kind of garbage. We're just going to be honest with Pharaoh when he asks what we do. That, that old lifestyle, that old way of doing stuff is done with. Now you go and be the, the people that God's called you to be. Enough hiding, enough covering up. We're done with that, man. When he asks you, you tell him, man, we're a shepherd people. It's going to be hard, and, and he's, he's not going to like you. But you tell him that's who you are. Man, let, let me tell you something, Christians. Let me tell you something. When you follow Jesus Christ, people are going to hate you. Amen. There are going to be things that they are going to hate you for that won't even make sense for them hating you for. They're going, to, they're going to have bitterness and anger towards you, and it will not make sense. You say, you may have hated shepherds all along. Why do you hate me? I'm just, I'm just a person. It don't matter. They're going to hate you anyway. They're going to hate you anyway. Let, let me tell you again. Listen to me. When you follow Jesus Christ, people are going to hate you for no reason. There are going to be things that you do in obedience to God, and they're not going to understand it, and they're going to hate you for it. Well, Kenny, that doesn't sound like a, a, a very pretty picture. It's not. It's exactly what God calls us to, though. He says, you be obedient to me, and the end result is also up to me. You just do. And you know what we're supposed to say in response to that? Here I am. Here I am. Teenagers, at school, when you are a Christian, people are going to hate you for no reason. When, when you stand boldly for your faith, they are going to hate you for no reason. Moms, dads, when you are at work and you are a Christian and that is not hidden, that is not covered up, you're just a person of integrity and people know that you're a Christ follower, people are going to hate you. I wish I could tell you differently. I wish I could tell you that everybody's going to love you and just wrap their arms around your neck and say, man, I am so thankful that you're a Christian, but they're not. That's not the way that it works. You know why? Because it didn't work that way for Jesus. He told him he was the Son of God, did miracles showing that he was the Son of God, and tons and tons of people hated him. And we want to be like Christ where we're going to be hated. That's just the way it works. I have some ideas about why I think that is, but I, I'm, I'm just going to share one of, you, one of them with you. You know what people hated most about Jesus Christ? is the fact that he pointed out the filth and the nastiness that was inside of them. They thought they were good. They really thought that they were doing the right stuff. But it turns out when Jesus came into the picture, it was a reflection on their life. And what they hated about Jesus 
was what they hated most about themselves. When people persecute you, when people hate you for no reason, I want you to understand that, that, that I, I believe, this is my belief. I haven't been able to like find like biblical evidence of this is why it is, but this is the best I can, I can make out. What people hate most about you is probably what they hate most about themselves. It's probably something about themselves that they're so convicted about and they don't like looking at and it's nasty and it's ugly and they don't want to deal with it and they'd rather just sweep it under the rug. But when they look at you and they look at you following Jesus Christ, it brings something to their mind that they hate about themselves and instead of just saying, you know what, I need you to help me with this, what they say is, man, I hate you because of this. I, th I think that's, that's the best guess I got, folks. There may be some little intricacies associated with that, and they're kind of around that, but I think at the heart of the matter, that's what, what they hate most about you is what they hate most about themselves. And it's hard. Nobody likes to be hated. Nobody, nobody enjoys that at all. It's obedience, though. It's obedience. And here, I want you to see something that God is using this. So... Jacob's family is from Canaan. Now he's in Egypt. And God uses the Egyptian racism because they're racist against the people in Goshen. They don't like the shepherds. They don't, they don't, they don't like hanging around with the livestock and all that garbage. God uses that to keep the family pure. See, one of the commandments of God was that the people of Israel were not supposed to intermarry with, with, with other people because that would dilute their religion. That would dilute their faith in God Almighty. That they were supposed, I mean, Jewish custom today is you just intermarry within Jewish, the Jewish community. You don't go outside Jewish community to marry somebody. You stay within the Jewish community. Well, this is one of the early commandments of God is that you're supposed to, 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 to stay within our group when you marry. So it doesn't dilute the religion. It doesn't pull you away from God. And you say, man, that's not the way it is today. Oh, yes, it is. For Christians, that's absolutely the way it is. God says it this way. Jesus says, that you're not to be unequally yoked. You're supposed... <laughs> Wait, that's a weird, like, crazy say. What does that mean? You're not supposed to marry somebody who's not a Christian. I, I don't know how... Teenagers, young adults, people that are they're looking... At you're not supposed to marry somebody that's not a Christian. You're not supposed to marry somebody who's not a Christian. You're not supposed to marry somebody who's not a Christian. What was God doing here? In the land of Goshen, he was putting them in a place where the Egyptians wouldn't even go. They're certainly not going to intermarry with anybody in the land of Goshen. They're certainly not going to do that because they despise the Egyptians. And God was using the Egyptian racism to protect his people. Now, how powerful is that? He says, you're going to go over here and you'll be protected. You'll be able to stay one unit, one holy, godly people. And I'm going to protect you using their racism. That's how powerful our God is. That's how faithful our God is. 
That's how transformational God's power is in our lives. The stuff that you think, man, it's bad, it's ugly, it's nasty. God's using that the whole time, man. If you'll be faithful to God and you'll follow Jesus Christ, he's using that as a, as a form of protection for you. Connie's been reading this book, and she tells me all kinds of stuff about it, but you know, I'll get her to tell you about the book sometimes. But, but it's about people in a Nazi concentration camp. And, and, and the women are there, and, and they get moved into this one place, and it's really nasty and really awful. And, 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 and the reason they, they don't like it is because of the fleas. Am I telling them right? It's fleas, right? The fleas are so bad there. So, so like, they're, they're, they're praising God and trying to find something to be thankful for each and every day. And, and one of the sisters says, you know what? I, I'm going to praise God for the fleas. And the other one goes, I'm not praising God for the fleas. I'm not going to worship him because there are fleas, and because the fleas are awful. They're terrible. They're, 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 they're biting us. They're all over us, and, and they're terrible. Well, the, the thing that God was doing that they couldn't see is that they were able to start a Bible study in there, and the guards wouldn't bother them for one reason. The fleas. The fleas were the reason that they were able to have their Bible study together, and the guards left them alone. See, when you think that God's not at work, he's doing all kind of stuff. When you think that God's left you alone and he's left you to die, he's doing all kind of stuff. you got to allow your blinders to be taken off. You know what you have to say in response to God's calling on your life? Here I am. That's it. Here I am. What in your life has God called you in obedience to? Maybe it's salvation. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what Jesus is saying because the Holy Spirit of God doesn't live inside of you. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus Christ and say, Here I am, Lord. All my junk I give to you, but I also, in obedience to you, whatever you have for my life, I, I give that to you too. God, you're in control of my life now. And that you do that. It's called salvation when you give everything to Jesus Christ and he rescues you. Yes, it's about being rescued from death to life, to be taken from hell to heaven when you die. Yes, it's about that, but it's more than that. It's about the life that you leave right now. And it's just like following Jesus Christ and say, God, whatever you have, here I am. And some of us Christians have forgotten that. All we see is the hate and the bitterness and the, the malice that other people have towards us. And we forgot the fact that God calls us to just say, here I am, God, whatever you have for me, I'm ready. However you need to respond to Jesus Christ right now, I pray that you do that. And I pray that God is glorified. Father, thank you, Lord, for your precious word, for the testimony of Joseph and his brothers, and God, how you did an extreme makeover in the house of Jacob. Lord, may we be a people that are responsive to you with only three words. Here I am. With all the garbage and the, and the stuff that's in my life, and I want to give you all my shame and, and give you every single thing that I'm guilty of, all of my sin, I want to give it to you. But, but God, when I do that, I, I, I promise, God, whatever you, you call me to do, I'll do it in obedience to you. Here I am, Lord, just use me. I know that it's not going to look pretty, and I know that there are going to be people that hate me as a result of this commitment that I'm making. But, God, I'm making it to you because you are the God of Isaac and of Jacob. And, Lord, I worship you, and I, I fully confess who you are and how you revealed yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ died for me and died for my sin, and, and he was resurrected for the, from, from the dead. And, God, now... He is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me. And I, I believe those things, and I, I trust you. Here I am. 
God, if there's somebody here that needs to make that commitment today, I pray that they would come down here and do that. I pray that they would give their entire life to you, every single thing about themselves. I pray that they would give it to you. And then for the Christian that is struggling in whatever way, God, maybe they're struggling like Jacob with the decision to, to make the next step or, or to move on somewhere where, where it's very difficult and it doesn't look pretty and they don't know what the future is. God, I pray that they would do what Jacob did. They would offer a sacrifice of thanks because of who you are and what you have done already. God, that they would tune into your voice and your voice alone. And God, that you would reassure them that wherever they go, you will be there, just like you did with Jacob. Or, or maybe there are people here that are struggling with, with, with the fact that people hate them for nothing they've done, but simply for who they are as a follower of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would encourage them. Reassure them, God, that, that, that you are still, just like we just said, right there with them. That, that they're not alone in this. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all suffering that persecution. God, but help us to also realize that the circumstances that we're in, God, they can be used for your glory. If we'll recognize that, that you're at work in every single thing, even in, even in the, the bad times, God, where it looks like we're taken into a foreign land and we're isolated, that God, you may very well be using that for a purpose. God, I know sometimes we feel alone as Christians because we go into a dark place, whether that's at work or at school or, or wherever, and God, it's tough to be there and be a Christian. Help us to realize, Father, that you were at work even in that situation. And God, although we cannot comprehend what you're doing, we trust you and we faithfully serve you and we follow you in obedience. God, whatever you need to do in people's lives, I pray that we are responsive to you with three simple words, here I am. So God, remind us of your grace. Remind us of your mercy that you have for each and every person in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Everyone please stand.